Hello, this is Christian Kuhn. I am the pastor of Emerging Ministries at Urban Village Church, and this is the second edition of You See Me UVC, where we talk to different folks from the Urban Village Church community as an opportunity during this sheltering in place to get to know one another a little bit better. Today's conversation is with Jim Downing. Jim has been part of the South Loop site at Urban Village for a few years and also recently stepped down as the chair of our finance team and led that ably for about two or three years as well. Jim is the Global Chief Compliance Officer for Retirement Solutions Division for the Aon Corporation. Very impressive title. But what makes this conversation, I think, really interesting is Jim is pretty vulnerable, uh, sharing about his life, particularly as it pertains to his divorce and also his sobriety. And so I hope you have a chance to take a listen to what Jim has to say. Not only, I think, will you get to know him a little bit better, but hopefully his own story will help you uh, in many ways, too. So again, here is Jim Downing. All right, Jim Downing, welcome to this podcast. Thank you for having me, Christian. So one thing that we're doing with these podcasts is just obviously wanting to have uh, folks that are in village get to know one another a little bit better. So let's Mm -hmm. just start off by telling uh, us a little bit about you and your upbringing and how you came to be um, where you are now. Give us a a broad view and then I'll get into the particulars with follow-up questions. Sure, sure. Kind of a big picture. So I grew up on the the North Shore of Chicago. Um, My dad was a very successful executive for what used to be a big company now uh, Ameritech, was then Ameritech, which is pretty much defunct now, um, and uh, went to public high or went to public school up until high school, and then actually I went to boarding school for four years, a boarding school about uh, three hours away in Wisconsin called Wayland Academy. I was there for all four years of high school, uh, then went uh, out east for college, but then came back to Chicago kind of knowing that it was my home. I knew that there was a lot of opportunity here. Um, and so I, I kind of right away decided that, hey, this is where I wanted to move back to, you know, as opposed to some sometimes people kind of go somewhere else. And so I uh, came back, I uh, got my master's in accounting while I was working, and then uh, eventually my, my law degree as well while I was working. Uh, I got married in the early 2000s, uh, 2003 to be uh, exact. I have two kids, two wonderful children, my daughter, Sophia, who's 12, and my son, Paul, who's 10. Uh, Unfortunately, I'm not married anymore. Uh, We got divorced in 2013, so about seven years ago. And um, I work here in Chicago for a company called Aon. Uh, I am their global chief compliance officer for their retirement solutions division. So hopefully that's big picture enough for you. Yeah. And you're living in Oak Park now. Yes. I live in Oak Park, Illinois. That's right. And I've, I've been here basically until a a couple years after we got married. I mean, I moved out into the city briefly when we first got separated and divorced, but I, my intention was always to come back. I'm a big fan. You, I'm trying to remember exactly the year that you started attending Urban Village. You went to the South Loop site, I think when we were at East West, is that right? Yep. That's right. right. You were living in the South Loop at the time. Yep. Has it been about four years ago? I would say, yeah, at least. Um, 
Because, yeah, you guys were at East West. Not, and and it, if my recollection is right, you had kind of only just moved there like a few weeks before I showed up. Ago. Yeah, yeah. Because yeah, it was in January or February, I think, when I first kind of stumbled on it and uh, got up the courage to show up by myself, right? <laughs> which, which wasn't easy. I'm not going to lie. I was yeah. a little freaked out at the beginning. Well, let's, let's build up to that. Tell us a little bit about your faith upbringing. Sure. So, um, you know, my, my, my mom's mom, my grandmother was a Christian scientist. And so for those who don't know about Christian scientists, those, those, that's the religion where they don't believe in like going to the doctor or getting inoculated or vaccines or those types of things. And so I think that, you know, my mom's upbringing was partly that, but also partly in Catholic school. And um, my father, to be honest with you, he's, he passed away about 25 years ago. As far as I know, never really showed any signs of faith. And so don't get me wrong. We would go to church as a family. We would go on Easter. We'd go on Christmas Eve. We may fill the pews, you know, maybe I'd say three or four Sundays in between. Um, I was confirmed at the uh, Winneka Congregation Church, which is kind of a non-denominational church. Um, when I was in junior high, but it wasn't ever anything that was kind of at the forefront of my family. Like, for example, we never said grace. You know what I mean? I never witnessed my parents pray. I witnessed them maybe curse God a few times or use <laughs> blasphemy, but you know what I mean? Uh, I never like heard them talk about their faith lives or how important their faith was to them. Yeah. So, um, then what stirred you? I guess sometimes yeah. so you said you had divorced in 2013 and my experience, both with people who have been at urban village and beyond that too, is that, um, pretty major transition like that, especially one that causes certainly some, uh, regret, sadness, mm-hmm. anger, uh, can lead people in lots of different ways when they think about their faith life, if they had one at all before that. So it sounds like maybe a couple of years after the divorce is when you talk about deciding to show up uh, on that yeah. side. What was it that led you to, to, to take that step? You know, I mean, on the weekend, so my, my, my custody relationship is generally about 50-50, you know, a couple days a week and then every other weekend. And what I was finding on those weekends without the kids, I was literally just sitting at home by myself the entire time. Mm. and. Um, what, you know, and, and, and for various reasons I was doing that. Partly I was trying to save money by not going out. But the other part was I didn't really want to go out. I was just kind of, I don't know how you say it. I, I was depressed. I was mm-hmm. upset. And, uh, and, and I have a therapist. Um, and, and so we were talking one day and uh, I said to him, you know, I'm actually thinking about potentially going to church. And, uh, you know, he, we have a very good relationship. He kind of laughed a little and said, you know, you like, I, I didn't really, <laughs> really take you for that kind of guy. Well, I mean, I think he was kind of kidding, right? He wasn't trying to discourage. You. Okay. He didn't do but, something but, like you go to church. Yeah, no, 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 okay. no. It was nothing like that. Okay. It was nothing like that. And so, you know, one thing that was really important to me, I'm, I'm a twin. I have a twin brother and my, my twin brother is gay. And so one thing that was really important to me that if I was going to go to a church, was to find one that was inclusive, right? To make sure that they that they didn't 
give that kind of hate speech that I'd heard before from other religions because I'm just not okay with that. Let's put it that way. And so, um, you know, uh, I had done some research online and it turns out you guys at the time were like two blocks away from my place. And so it was actually, it's actually an interesting story because the Sunday before I was supposed to come, the Sunday before I showed up, like one week prior, I was all ready to go and then just couldn't do it. Just, just, just kind of said, you know what? Yeah, I'm all showered and dressed and everything, but yeah, I, I need to think about this a little bit more. And then finally, actually, it was two Sundays later because I had my kids the next weekend that I finally kind of mustered up the courage and just said, all right, Jim, just, just go there. What's the worst that could happen? You know, they can't force you to stay, that kind of stuff. And, um, and, and showing up and listening to you preach and listening to the music really had a very, very profound effect on me because I do consider myself a spiritual person. I just think that my faith in some ways was misguided. I used to think that I was the one in control, that I was the one who could control everything when I think we all know that's not the case. And during that first you know, time, I, I, and I distinctly remember this because the band started playing Just a Closer Walk With Thee at the end, you know, when kind of everyone leaves. And that was one of my grandmother's favorite songs. And she was the only grandparent I ever had a relationship with. My other grandparents had passed away before I died. And I mean, I just started bawling. Like it was, I had all this welled up feelings that were just kind of waiting to get out. And, uh, you know, that, that's, that's, that's what brought me there at the end of the day. And that's what keeps me coming back. Yeah. I'm going to, I'm jumping all around here, but I want to, um, uh, go to your, vocation and what you do for a living. Um, we'll we'll come back to the church thing in a second. So I'm curious about, I don't know a ton of people, maybe they're more than I realized working on their accounting degree, uh, and then decide to be a lawyer. And then, but even before that, even before we started recording, so it's okay to to share this. You talked about going to college and you said your first attempt at it, uh, didn't go so well. So tell us about that. Oh, no. yeah, yeah. It didn't go so well at all. So, you know, I had gone in and, and I'm going to start a little bit with high school. So I had gone into high school as kind of a C and a D student. I was not a very good student. Uh, I had ADD. I was diagnosed very young when I was only in second grade and this was in the early eighties. And so, you know, it wasn't kind of as big of a thing as it is now. And I, I just hadn't come to terms with it. And so However, once I got to high school, there were small classes, there were teachers who took an interest in me, your teachers were also living in your dorms, or were your coaches. And so the amount of care that I got there caused me to all of a sudden really start to excel. Actually, Hmm. by the second semester, my freshman year, I was getting all B's and one A. And, And my parents were like, what's going on? And so I then only started to do better, you know, mostly B's and A's throughout my entire uh, high school career. I want to say I graduated with like a 3.5 or something like that. And so, you know, I got into a very good school, Denison University. It's in Ohio, Granville, Ohio. My wife went. Uh, Yeah, yeah. Early acceptance, uh, you know, um, very well known. But when I got there... I, I, I definitely started having some issues. And what I mean by those issues is I would say I didn't have the right discipline. 
So I left the school, high school, that had a mandatory two hours of study hall every night. Well, I never put two and two together that those you needed those two hours in order to do your homework and study for tests and write papers and so on and so forth. I instead decided it was better to go drinking. Hmm. And um, what what ended up happening is by the end of the first semester, I was on academic suspension hmm. and had to leave the school. And at this point, my father was still alive. And boy, was he dis I mean, both my parents were, were so disappointed in me because not only did he lose out on half a semester of paying for Denison, he also just said, you know, Jim, what the hell happened? You know, here you were this great student. What happened? And I mean, it was a very valuable learning lesson in my life because it taught me that if I wanted something in my life, that I really had to work for it. You know, I kind of went to Denison and, and, and approached college as kind of laissez-faire. Thought, well, I'll do, do a little homework and I'll study a little bit. I'm sure I'll get B's and A's just like I did in high school, you know, mm. as opposed to, hey, you're here to really learn. You're here to be challenged. You need to make sure that, you know, those things are happening and that you're coming, stepping up to meet the challenge. And so what happened is I had to come back home move in with my parents, um, go to Oakton Community College, which is a great school here, and uh, for the next year. So I would, you know, I in order to get off of academic suspension, no other school would accept me. And so, you know, for me, when I, when I look back on my life and some of kind of the great failures, if you will, I, I would consider that probably one of the biggest ones, next to maybe my marriage not working out. Um, for me, it was basically kind of two-sided. One-sided, I was devastated, right? How come I couldn't be successful? What happened? But then the other side of me was kind of a look in the mirror moment and say, you know what? The only person you can blame here is yourself. Mm -hmm. And by doing that, then the next school I went to, which was New England College out of uh, New Hampshire, I really stepped up and graduated basically almost with all A's. And I was a, a helping to uh, teach two classes my senior year in finance. And, uh, you know, it was uh, it was a completely different experience. I had a much more kind of go get them attitude. Uh, you know what I mean? I don't know why it was like that. I think at the time, you know, Denison had kind of a very party school. You know, there was kind of a it was kind of a little bit of a party school while still being a good school. And I, and I just uh I just couldn't stay disciplined. Let's put it that way. Yeah. So then now when you thought about accounting, what, what made you decide in the midst of that, that you wanted to add the, the law degree to it? Yeah. Well, 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 so, you know, getting the master's in accounting for me was an exercise in two things. One, I was at the time looking to change careers. I was in mm. sales. Which, which I enjoyed, but I, and I was good at, but I felt like I kind of used up too much of my personality at work. And then by the time I got home, I just like kind of wanted to be alone. You know, I just wanted to isolate. So I was, I was uh, looking to change careers. So I got into Roosevelt for a master's of science in accounting, um, which was great. The second part of that is I really wanted to understand financials. You know, I want to understand what a income statement was be able to read a cash flow statement, look at a balance sheet, all those kinds of things and all those numbers behind them. And so I had done that. And, and after doing that, I got a job with uh, a regulatory body called FINRA, the Financial 
uh, industry regulatory authority, FINRA. And so uh, I had worked there for a number of years and then kind of decided to join the other side of the street, like the Wall Street side, if you will, where I work now. And one thing that I noticed was that the majority of the chief compliance officers within that industry had their juris doctorate. And so I started to think to myself, well, you know, this was a time where it was 2008, 2009, the market had just tanked. Um, my daughter was, was, was like one. And uh, I, for some reason, thought, hey, let's go to law school. And so, um, you know, for me, stepping up to that challenge meant for me, well, greater potential down the road. Because to be honest, I never took the bar, right? I only went to get my JD because all I wanted to know was how lawyers think, how lawyers write, how lawyers analyze. Hmm. I also didn't like lawyers telling me, well, that's a legal thing you wouldn't understand, right? And so, um, and, and, it, and it did almost immediately, actually only after about my first year and a half in law school, I got my first chief compliance officer job. And so, uh, and which, which helped immensely because, you know, you got to, you got to drink in these kind of 300 page tomes of regulation and try and break them down into a process that's operational for the business. And so that's kind of what I do now. Let's, um, I'm trying to think where to go next. Um, uh, let's continue with the, kind of your, your profession. And um, um, one of the things that I notice in uh, both, again, at folks at Urban Village and beyond Urban Village, for people who, on the surface, it seems like they have it all. And they're yeah. successful, like very impressive title. You work at the Aon Center. Uh, yeah. And so... Um, one thing I pretty, I learned pretty early on in ministry is that no matter how much on the surface, it looks like people have it together and have everything that you could hope for. Everybody's broken in some way, either big or small ways. And for you in in knowing you, there's a couple of things. um, I, I know about your own kind of brokenness, even though again, people look at you and think, wow, Jim is really successful. He's really done so much for himself. He's got this, again, on, on the surface, this great job, these two great kids, everything else. And a couple things though, beneath that, that I think will be helpful for others to hear and feel like I'm, I'm not alone in my brokenness. I'm not alone in not having mm-hmm. it all figured out. And the first one of those things is, and you mentioned this earlier, is your divorce. So yeah. can you talk about that experience for you? And I know for some people, they really, they walk out of it thinking, how did that go so wrong? And they feel um, um, like a failure or they feel like, um, they, uh, just, just so bitterly disappointed because obviously marriages start off so well with the beautiful wedding and everything. So could you talk a little bit about that? Yeah, of course. I mean, it it was, it was, I mean, if I were to use one word, I would just say heartbreaking, Mm. uh, for me, because it was actually worse than when my father died when I was only 18. Uh, the amount of grief that I felt over the loss of that relationship. Um, and to be honest, it, well, uh, the majority of it was my fault. I was self-serving, egotistical, demanding, not patient, wouldn't listen. I mean, I, I did not give nearly enough into that relationship, nor enough to what she deserved, you know, from a good, trusting, loving husband. Mm. 
And so it was a little two-sided. I mean, you know, part of it was I was losing the nuclear family, right? I was going to have to now be away from my kids. I was going to have to pay child support. I was, you know what I mean? Going to have this, have to have this kind of ongoing relationship with this woman that I, you know, I was just in love with. Um, and then, and then the second part of it was my own failure. You know, how come I couldn't be a better husband? How come I couldn't be given a second chance to try and change? How come I couldn't, you know, get things together like so many other people could? I mean, you know, there was no infidelity or anything like that. I know, you know, there was no uh, physical abuse. You know, I don't have a gambling problem. You know what I mean? There, there kind of wasn't any one of those like big things that kind of blew it up, right? Which, which, which sometimes can happen. Um, for me, and 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 for us, uh, you know, I think it was just. I, <laughs> I, it's, it's, it's so hard to explain. And I mean, I still work on trying to process through it because, you know, this is a person that I have to have a relationship with for the rest of my life. I mean, we have two children together, right? It's not like, I mean, I would think maybe on some level for people that don't have kids that are connected, it might be a little bit easier to kind of walk away from because you may never see that person again and you could move away and, you know, that would be great. But this is someone that, I have to have, you know, this relationship with. And for the longest time, I carried a lot of regret, a lot of regret, a lot of anger towards her, uh, you know, kind of why, what, why can't you give me a second chance? Why can't you, you know what I mean? Um, uh, see that I'm a good person, that I'll make it okay. You know, uh, why, why do I have to pay you all this money? You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. But what I've learned over these years, and, and part of it was time helping to heal the wound, um, was that, you know, carrying that anger in those burdens it, against someone else, it's like you drinking poison and expecting them to die, mm-hmm. right? It, it, it's just, that's not how it works. And so through, you know, um, through, um, my therapist through some other things, I've, I've really kind of learned how to let go mm-hmm. of that regret, let go of that anger. And to be honest, I mean, uh, their mom and I have a great relationship, you know, although we're on kind of lockdown here, we're obviously shuttling the kids back and forth. And last night she came over, I ordered dinner and we played board games as a family. Mm. And it was perfectly good. You know what I mean? We go out to eat as a family, you know, a couple times a year. We try and do at least a few things a year as a family so that the kids can see that we have a civil and good relationship, you know, even though our marriage didn't work. But it is hard because I've also, to be honest, not had very much luck in relationships since. And uh, I've, I've, I've probably had too many relationships since, but I think sometimes. I try and fill that void mm. without feeling comfortable in it. And, you know, one of the things I'm working on now is, okay, let's get comfortable in that void. Mm. Because if I'm not comfortable kind of with myself, how can I expect someone else to be comfortable with me? I really like that insight that we all 
at some point or another have that that void. And that's one thing I wanted to talk about next is, mm-hmm. I mean, on the surface, so after divorce, it sounds like all the things that one can do, you've done and the time has gone by. So you, you, you know that that, even though you're still in some way working through it, it does help some. You've gone to therapy. Uh, mm-hmm. You've had, you've come to church, uh, been a, yeah. a regular participant at church. You, Jim has just stepped down as a wonderful uh, time as the chair of our finance team. Uh, you, I know you're part of an intentional discipleship relationship. So you're doing all the yeah. things. And I think, again, for some, they may think as long, if I check all these boxes, then I will be at peace. But it sounds like both you still have that void. And then just recently, yeah. uh, I want you to share your own struggles with sobriety, if you don't mind. Yeah, no, no, of course, you know, um, and, and, and I mean, this is somewhat recent for me and my struggles with sobriety probably likely played an impact in my divorce as well. Mm-hmm. You know, um, uh, it's, I, I've only been sober now about uh, 42 days. I am in a 12 step program with Alcoholics Anonymous. Uh, I have a sponsor. Uh, I go to meetings every day, even under quarantine. There's Zoom meetings out there. I actually have been going to about two of those a day. Mm-hmm. Um, what happened is that I had hit a point in my life where I was using alcohol to mask my feelings. And so, and by using alcohol, I don't mean just like I had a glass of wine. I was drinking two to three bottles of wine a night. Mm. And this had been going on for a couple of years. And while I was a very functional alcoholic, going to the gym, going to work, getting to church, taking care of the kids, you know what I mean? A lot of my life also revolved around drinking, to be honest with you. I would think, okay, well, the kids are home now. We don't have anywhere else to go. Let me go crack that bottle. I mean, there were days coming off from work where I still had my coat on and I was pouring a glass of wine so I could take it upstairs for when I change. I, I didn't have a very healthy relationship with alcohol in that I never just drank because I liked the taste. Or because one, I was drinking every single time to feel it. And, you know, I had, I, I, I had ha- kind of had some events that led up to a little bit of a bottom, which I don't want to get into too much here because um, uh, it's, a, it's a, still a little bit fresh and personal. However, they, 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 they did cause me to walk into those rooms. You know what I mean? And by those rooms, I mean an AA meeting. And um, that these last 42 days have been a prolific experience in my life Mm. where I feel like I'm being given a second chance. I've never felt like this before, to be honest with you. Um, Mm. Because I was used to waking up most mornings kind of hungover and with a headache and you know what I mean? Not feeling good and feeling sluggish. And now I bounce out of bed at 5 a.m. every day. I was used to starting drinking at, you know, right at five or at five thirty and drinking up until I went to bed at like eleven. You know what I mean? So almost six hours every day. Um, and that that doesn't promote a very clear level of thinking in somebody. You know what I mean? Yeah. When you are when your brain is that kind of soaked with alcohol all the time, because you're still drunk the next day, the next morning, most of the time, um, uh, you know, you can't, you can't think clearly. And I mean, I used to justify it 
by saying that, well, I've never had a DUI. I've never crashed my car. I've never, you know, been arrested. I've never, you know what I mean? Like I haven't been fired for drinking. So I used to sit there and justify all these things. And kind of what I've learned through this program, although I've only been in it for a little while, but still I've read a bunch of the literature is that that doesn't matter. You know, everyone has a different bottom. And something that I've dealt with a lot in my life is my um, capacity to, to get angry. And, and unfortunately, like really angry. I don't just mean like, I may yell a little, I mean, get like, you know, there's an explosion. And I had tried so many different things throughout my life to try and get rid of that. And what I'm coming to realize is that I think that alcohol played a big part in it mm. because not being able to feel your own feelings is going to cause them to build up. And once they do, the way that I would express them was through anger. And that meant yelling and screaming and stomping my feet and, and you know, whatever, gnashing my teeth, whatever else it was. And through this program, it's, it's, it's actually really helped me to just be able to identify what my feelings actually are and to sit with them, mm -hmm. right? You know, just to sit there and to think, hey, I feel depressed today. Mm -hmm. Okay, well, that's okay. Let's, let's put on some Junior Wells, you know what I mean? And listen to the blues or read a book I like or watch a show I want to watch or something like that to maybe try and coax myself out of it. Um, but one thing that's really, really helped me in the program is my faith. Mm. Because as, as some may know, maybe they don't, um, AA is, is built on this belief that you can only get help through a higher power. Now, some people choose God, some people may choose Allah or Buddha or, or whoever, right? But you have to have that belief that that higher power is there and that that's the only way to get, to get real help and to get in to feel better. And I think that if I would have entered this program, let's say if I had never gone to UVC, that would have been a very hard thing for me to accept. I think for me, you know, like I was kind of saying earlier is I always felt like I was in charge, right? I woke up in the morning and thought, what's Jim's plan today for my life? And when something didn't work out Jim's way, then Jim got mad. Mm. Now, when I wake up, I say, first, I thank God that I'm alive and sober and healthy. And then the second thing I say is, God, what's your plan for me today? Mm. Because I don't know what it's going to be. There's no way I can. You know, my, my, my sponsor likes to tell me that you can't change what happened yesterday. You can't predict the future. All you can do is be in the moment and, and kind of live for today. And, you know, that's, that's actually really helped me during these uncertain times that we're in. Right sure. Now. Yeah. It sounds like too, perhaps that you talk again, I'm going back to that phrase you used about, uh, about filling that void. And it sounds like yeah. going to meetings in some ways does that, but then also it sounds like you're more comfortable about sitting in the void uh, yeah. and naming it and not trying to hur hurriedly find some, something, whether it's a relationship or alcohol or whatever, like I've got, I've got to tamp this down. But instead, mm -hmm. like, wow, this is this is part of being human. Yeah. 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 Because, I mean, you know, you're exactly right. Previously, actually, the old me would have loved this quarantine, to be honest mm -hmm. with you, because 
It'd give me a reason to stay at home. I wouldn't have to worry about driving. I wouldn't have to worry about going anywhere. Someone seeing me drunk or something like that. And I would have sat on that couch drinking glass after glass of wine because I was a, I was a big red wine guy. Um, and so, you know, the old me would have been jumping up and down. I'd be like, hooray, basically an excuse to drink. You know, this thing's giving me an excuse to drink. And what I'm finding now is that by approaching it day by day, by trying to tamp anxiety about what might happen tomorrow or, you know, how, you know, how will I react if someone has a, a party at a bar and I have to go there? Like, I don't, I, I really try not to think about those things and just sit here and live within the moment. Yeah. But at the same time, also through a lot of prayer, you know, when, when, when sitting in that void, which, I mean, I'm not going to lie, it can be uncomfortable. I think that sometimes people forget that your thoughts can betray you, right? You're, you, I mean, you can start thinking things that either are never going to happen or might start bringing up bad things that happened in the past. These are all things that you can't change. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, what I've, what I've been really hardly working on is meditation, prayer, um, just kind of sitting with it. And then also I, you know, started journaling to, to, to really kind of write down how I feel, um, and, uh, you know, make sure that I'm identifying with those feelings because for so long, I just, I just numbed them. And just wouldn't listen at all. I just thought, nope, I'm in charge. I know what I'm doing. You know what I mean? Leave me alone. And while I still had kind of a spiritual side to me through God and, and, and through prayer, if anything, it's only been increased now that I've been sober. Yeah. I really appreciate you sharing all that. But it, because, because again, yeah. I think it, for, I think so many people feel like they may not be alcoholics or they may not have gone through a divorce, but I think so many people who struggle feel like I'm the only one who feels this way. I'm the only one who feels lonely. I'm the only one who feels depressed. I'm the only one who feels this void. And I look at these other people, especially I think social media really exacerbates this because yeah. so much of social media only shows the, uh, the, the glossy, shiny parts of ourselves. Uh, and so I'm grateful that you're willing to be vulnerable, especially when mm -hmm. other parts of your life seem like they're going so well. Yeah. Yeah. Well, well, you know, it, it, it was really interesting because my, my first meeting, when you're a newcomer and you go to your first meeting, generally they make you talk last. So they want you to hear all the other voices in the room. And there was about 20 people in the room. And it was so interesting when they started going around and telling their story that I found my story in so much of theirs. Even though some of these people had been to jail one one person had actually committed manslaughter and killed someone in a car accident because they were drunk. I mean, but I still could identify with parts of their story because I had been living that life. And I mean, you know, we we you know, you you talk about thanking me for kind of this vulnerability. To be honest, I don't see my sobriety as a weakness. I think if anything, I was much weaker when I was drinking hmm. because. I used to, you know, I used to have all these kind of, I used to have this mindset that just wasn't realistic. Let's put it that way. Whereas if anything, I feel more grounded now than I ever have in my entire adult life. Yeah, good. Well, I'm really glad to hear that. Uh, I'm all right. I'm going to end this conversation. I've got about four or five. These are, we're shifting 
Sure. Doing a 180 from the uh, kind of heavy conversation to some more <laughs> lighthearted things to, for people to get to know yeah. you a little bit better. Uh, so what is a something that you might consider a guilty pleasure uh, that like, like a show or music or food or something like that, uh, that you really enjoy and you might be slightly embarrassed to tell others, maybe not embarrassed at all. Yeah. So, um, when I was a kid, I wanted to be a cartoonist. I was a huge fan of the Sunday funnies, you know, any cartoon that you could find on TV. And so, one thing that I would say is kind of a guilty pleasure, I, I, I definitely do it with my kids, but I would say that maybe a lot of my adult friends don't know is that I love to watch cartoons still. Okay. And so, in particular? Uh, you know, I mean, it can really be anything, but anything from kind of the Spider-Man series, you know, the X-Men, like all the Marvel stuff, you know, now with Disney Plus and Netflix and all these things, I mean, it's great because... I, you know, I'm rediscovering series I watched when I was younger or even as like a little kid, you know, uh, like things like Tom and Jerry, stuff like that. And so I don't think a lot of people would get that from me that they'd be like, oh, Jim's at home watching cartoons right now. <laughs> <laughs> All right. What's a book that you've read recently that you just really, really recommend to others? Hmm. So I'm a, I'm I'm a huge fan of kind of the murder mystery thriller suspense novels. Um, I did recently come across a really great author, uh, and this is on Amazon Prime free books. Uh, his name is Victor Mythos, M-E-T-O-S, and and so you know. I think I kind of like these kind of books because I was trying to figure out who did it before it happens and that kind of stuff, but. Um, he is just a great author. And so, um, you know, anything in that kind of realm is uh, generally something that I read. But, but I would, and you know, what's interesting too is anytime I finish a book, I go to the author's website and send them an email oh. and just tell them how much I liked it. And I'd say 90% of the time they wrote, they write me back. And Victor did as well. He said, Thank you, James. I appreciate it. Yeah. yeah. What's a food that you could eat every day? Ooh, I'd have to go with uh, pasta, even though it's terrible for you. Yeah. Okay. All right. <laughs> uh, who would you want to play you if you if there was a movie made about your life? Hmm. Well, when I was younger, I used to be told that I looked like Tom Hanks, but I think that's when I had more hair. And since <laughs> he's older than me, I don't think that would work. So uh, maybe like a Ewan McGregor. Oh, okay. I could, I could, yeah, I could see him maybe being me. Not that I'm that good looking, but. <laughs> that's, that's perfectly fine. Uh, all right, last thing. What, um, what's something in this time of quarantine? What's something that you've either Thanks for listening picked again, up everyone. or learned or something? Again, what's a recommendation like you can make uh, for somebody else or might want to suggest someone feeling bored or at wit's end with quarantine? One more time, Christian at Well, I would definitely say maybe try and pick up an instrument. And go to the Urban Village Facebook page for updates of all the things that are going on as we try to hold things together and be present for one another. And then also urbanvillagechurch.org slash community to find out all the updates there too. So friends, until the next time that we're all together, may the peace of Christ be with you about 20 songs that I wrote. And so now I'm kind of trying to pick it back up and do it again and trying to see, you know, how that's changed and how my lyrics have changed and all that kind of stuff. So I would say try an instrument. 
for anyone like in it. quarantine. Yeah. I, my, I, uh, that was one thing that's kind of flitted in my mind. My son plays the piano. And so mm-hmm. I was thinking about going on YouTube to kind of like learn how to play the piano. And I thought my sure. son offered to help teach me. So I, I need to be more diligent about, all right, Ethan, let's sit down. Show me the scale. Let's, let's do this. Yeah. Yeah. Because I mean, you know what? 30 minutes a day. And after two months, you'd be surprised how much you can learn. Okay. I mean, that's how I picked up the guitar. Just 30 yeah. minutes a day. Yeah. Good. Well, Jim, uh, we, we appreciate all you do for Urban Village and we're grateful for that. But also I'm, I'm just grateful for who you are and the person you are and your willingness again to, to be open. And I think your story is going to help others too. So thanks for sharing today. Of course. And I mean, anyone that needs me can always reach out to me too. And uh, thank you very much for having me, Christian. I really appreciate yeah, it. Absolutely. And that's the episode. Thanks again to Jim for giving his time. If you would like to be part of this podcast, or if you would like to nominate someone to be part of it, you can reach out to me, Christian at urbanvillagechurch.org, and we'd love to have you on. Um, During this time of COVID-19, certainly I hope you'll go to the Urban Village website, urbanvillagechurch.org slash community. That's where we have a lot of our resources, uh, how you can get help. And then um, also check out the website for ways that we are worshiping online and other prayerful uh, opportunities throughout the week as well. So again, friends, thanks for listening.